Hello, listeners. Welcome back to a special bonus episode of Dark Crossroads, St. Patrick's Day edition. This is your host, Roxanne. And since this is a bonus episode, it's going to be a little light. It's going to be a little carefree, just a little bit of fun for St. Patrick's Day. I thought you guys deserved it. So sit back and enjoy some stories of St. Patrick's Day mischief. So I thought we should start off with a little history of St. Patrick's Day. Um, St. Patrick, the primary patron saint of Ireland, remains one of its most prolific national icons today. St. Patrick was born in Roman Britain in approximately 387 AD. He is the missionary accredited with converting Ireland to Christianity. He was born into a religious family in Scotland and was greatly influenced in his early life by his deacon father and his priest grandfather. At the age of 16, a young Patrick was kidnapped by Irish raiders and he was sold into slavery in Ireland. Forced to work as a shepherd, he often suffered from hunger and extreme cold conditions. Despite this, he prayed daily and his faith in God grew. After six years, Patrick heard a voice telling him that he would soon go home and that his ship was ready. Heeding this voice, he escaped his master and he fled back to Ireland. I mean, he fled Ireland, dear God. A few years after returning home, Patrick recounted having another vision in which he received a letter entitled The Voice of the Irish. As he read the letter from his vision, He heard the Irish people calling to him in a united voice, begging for him to return. He interpreted this dream as a call to do mission work in pagan Ireland. He returned to the island as a priest, preaching and converting for 40 years. Patrick was initially met with resistance, writing that he and his companions were seized and carried off as captives 12 times, and that on one occasion he was chained and sentenced to death. Nevertheless, he and his disciples persevered. Throughout his missionary work, St. Patrick continued to promote the conversion of Ireland to Christianity by electing church officials, creating councils, founding monasteries, and organizing Ireland into dioceses. In 431 AD, Patrick was appointed Bishop of Ireland, and the island is believed to have been officially converted to Christianity in 432. St. Patrick's Day has been associated with alcohol consumption from its early years, as it was one of the few days where the Lenten season restrictions on drinking were lifted. In modern times, the holiday has become mainly characterized by excessive drinking. In fact, it has become one of the most difficult and dangerous days of the year for law enforcement and communities nationwide. St. Patrick's Day is one of the two days of the year with the highest rate of DUI arrests. So since we got the history and the meaning of St. Patrick's Day a little out of the way, I thought we would just go through some crimes and mishaps and whatnot that has happened throughout history on this day. I think the first one to start off with um, is going to be one of the most known crimes that has happened on this day. Among history's prominent Irish-American mobsters is Chicago's gang leader, George Bugs Moran. 
Morin was Al Capone's lifelong rival and was known for his involvement in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre and the supposed popularization of the drive-by shooting. Also prominent was underworld figure Oni, the killer Madden, a leading prohibition bootlegger and owner of the legendary speakeasy The Cotton Club. Of historical significance is the bloody Chicago 1926 gang shooting known as the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, which happened on March 16th. Alfonsi Scarface Lambert attempted to wipe out rival crime lord Gene Arnaud and his men at a St. Patrick's Day party thrown by Arnaud's sister-in-law. The attack itself was no longer than 10 minutes, and this attack left no survivors. Another incident of note is um, in 2015, a Missouri man was busted for armed robbery of a convenience store on St. Patrick's Day. This man was Brian Fry, 33, and was suspected in the robbing of an express mart in Kirksville. According to police, he arrived at the store with a pellet gun that looked identical to a semi-automatic firearm. He reportedly ordered for the cashier to give him money and then move the employees into a storage room. He asked for their belongings, and then he took off. Investigators used surveillance footage to nab Fry, who was arrested a day later. In December, he pleaded no contest to armed robbery and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Okay, so the next case that I um, thought was interesting is titled The Man Who Robbed a Bank Dressed as a Leprechaun. On St. Patrick's Day, 2010, at 12.28 p.m., First State Bank in the Nashville suburb of Gallatin was held up by a man presumably looking for a pot of cold at the end of a rainbow. Yes, this bank robber was dressed as a leprechaun. And just side note, um, there is a picture of this, and I will be posting it on the website, on the blog. Um, Okay, back. Police said the gun-toting leprechaun scored an undisclosed amount of cash before leaving the bank. He then joined another suspect that was waiting in a car outside. The two ended up fleeing. Cops spotted the vehicle, and they gave chase. There was a wild gunfight that ended up breaking out, and police cruisers were hit by several bullets and ended up being disabled. No officers were injured, and money was recovered from the suspect's vehicle. The two suspects crashed, ditched their car off the highway, and fled on foot into a field. One suspect was killed by police fire, and the other took his own life as cops closed in. Money was recovered from the abandoned vehicle, which had a large leprechaun hat in the back seat. <laughs> in the back seat, the case was reminiscent of the December twenty second robbery that also was in Nashville, when a man dressed in a Santa suit, including hat, beard, and mustache, held up a SunTrust bank, demanding money from the teller at gunpoint. There also has been no arrests made in the case of the Santa Claus robber. Okay, the next case um, that I found was titled The Brazen Art Heist That Was Carried Out During a City's St. Patrick's Day Celebrations. This case is straight up out of a movie. I was reading this and all I was picturing was James Bond, to be honest. 
um, also I, I found it very interesting because this is kind of um, close to where I am. So I kind of could resonate with it. Okay, so it says, um, early in the morning of March 18, 1990, criminals capitalized on the many distractions caused by Boston Street Patriot. Pa- oh my God. <laughs> criminals capitalized on the many distractions caused by Boston's St. Patrick's Day celebrations to carry out a brazen robbery at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The men dressed as Boston police officers, descended upon the museum and quickly convinced security guards that they were responding to a call about a disturbance on the property. They tied the guards up and proceeded to take 13 artworks from artists such as Rembrandt, Vermeer, and Manat. I don't know if I'm seeing the last one right. I'm sorry if I did not. The heist was valued to be at a loss of $500 million, making the robbery the largest private property theft ever. The works were never returned, nor were the suspects ever arrested, though in 2013, the FBI claimed to possibly know the suspects' identities. Several empty frames still hang in the Dutch room of the museum, in homage to the pieces still missing and as a placeholder for if and when they are eventually returned. It is currently listed on the FBI's website as one of the top 10 art crimes ever, and the suspects have never been caught. The next case is titled, The Tourist Who Was Beaten, Robbed, and Stripped of His Clothes by an Unruly Crowd on St. Patty's Day. On March 18th, 2012, the day after citywide St. Patrick's Day celebrations, one St. Patty's Day enthusiast was still out celebrating the holiday when a crowd gathered around this tourist in downtown Baltimore and they proceeded to beat, rob, and strip him of his clothes. The victim, who was extremely intoxicated at the time of the incident, was a 31-year-old man from Alexandria, Virginia. He was on his way back to his hotel when the attack occurred. He ended up losing his keys to his Audi car, his iPhone, and his wristwatch. He woke up the next morning with injuries and had no recollection of what had occurred. But he hadn't and he was also unaware that a video was shot and uploaded of this attack taking place. And it had been viewed a half a million times. This video is up and it is visible to public record. So you can, ty- you can type this into Google and watch the video yourself. So after the video appeared online, social media sleuths used tools to identify and track down the assailants. The four assailants named Aaron Parsons, Shayona Makia Davis, D'Angelo Carter, and Shatia Baldwin were identified as the attackers and were eventually arrested. At least one of them turned themselves in and another three were arrested. In July 2012, the four attackers pleaded guilty in connection with the incident. Parson was sentenced to three years in jail with all but one suspended while Carter, Davis, and Baldwin were sentenced to one year with all but time served. After the sentencing, Parsons' attorney, Warren Brown, told CBS Local he offered an apology to both the victim and the city, interestingly because he knows he brought disrepute... 
just rip, I can't say this word, to the city, considering this went viral and cast a negative image on the city. Hey dudes, let's talk about Podbeam. What is Podbeam, you ask? Podbeam. Podbeam is a podcast hosting and monetizing platform. If you're looking to start a podcast, does your friend have a podcast? Do your parents? Okay, never mind. Anyway, Podbeam is an easy and powerful way to create, promote, and monetize your podcast. Everything you need for a successful podcast. More than 600,000 podcasters trust in Podbeam podcast hosting services. They provide all the services that you need to start your podcast and achieve your goals. You want to start a podcast about momming. You want to start a podcast about cooking. You want to start a podcast about fishing. You want to start a true crime com- blah, blah, blah. You want to start a true crime podcast? Podbeam's got you. Make compelling podcasts right from your phone with the podcast recording app or capture any moment with professional quality Podbeam live streaming. Publish your audio and video in one ultra-simple, secure platform to grow your audience quickly and easily. Sign up and get one month free with the promo code. Type in www.podbeam.com slash darkcrossroads and get one month free of Podbeam streaming audio recording. Okay, so the next case is titled, The Woman Who Found a Drunk Firefighter Passed Out on Her Stoop on St. Patrick's Day. A woman came home on St. Patrick's Day Eve in 2010 to find a passed out man in an FDNY Fire Department New York uniform blocking her door. Windsor Terrace resident Lauren Hill tried to nudge this firefighter awake as he was blocking her door. Fearful that he might become belligerent, she decided to call 911 instead. It was stated, nothing good comes of awakening a sleeping firefighter, especially if it's 3 a.m. the morning after St. Patrick's Day, end quote. (laughs) She told the dispatcher that the stranger was well-dressed, in uniform, but his shoes were missing. While the identity of the man has not been publicly revealed, the fire commissioner at the time said during the investigation It's not something I would expect of a firefighter in uniform. Okay, so the next title is The Cabbie Who Tailed a Drunk Driver in a High-Speed Car Chase After St. Patrick's Day Hit and Run. Brian F. Irvin, 22, of Beatty Street, hit and severely injured an Elmira, New York woman with his vehicle on St. Patrick's Day in 2014. According to court documents, Irvin and several of his friends started drinking the morning of March 17th and continued throughout much of the day. While driving, he struck a woman as she and her boyfriend were crossing an intersection. Irvin's blood alcohol content was measured at 0.13% after the crash, and although one of the passengers urged him to stop after the accident, 
he ended up driving away. A taxicab driver, Mike Travis, witnessed the event and followed Irvin's car until Irvin, driving at speeds reaching 80 miles per hour and aware that he was being tailed, lost the cab. Police were alerted by Travis, who was also copied down Irvin, who also copied down Irvin's license plate number, and were waiting at his home to arrest him. He eventually pleaded guilty on October 3rd to felony charges of second-degree vehicular assault and leaving the scene of an accident without reporting it to police, and two counts of misdemeanor driving while intoxicated. He received a one-year conditional discharge for the misdemeanors and will be required to install an alcohol sensor lock on his vehicle when his driving privileges are restored. He almost killed two people, and he got that. (laughs) Like, really? What? All right. So the next case is the St. Patrick's Day blowout that left eight students injured after a roof collapse. You know, like an everyday thing, roof collapsing and all. Nearly 1,000 students from Cal Poly, St. Louis, Obispo, California. Wow, that is a tongue twister and a half. We're partying at an off-campus St. Freddy's Day party when the roof of a garage belonging to the university's baseball coach collapsed, bringing 30 students down and injuring eight. What were that many partygoers doing on the roof? It is said that they were broofing. If you didn't know what broofing is, I also did not know what broofing is. It is a term coined by St. Louis Obispo students to describe the act of sitting on top of a roof while drinking beer. Broofing. St. Louis Obispo Mayor Jan Marks is proposing an ordinance during the next city council meeting, which happens to be on St. Patrick's Day. This will prohibit people from from being on a roof unless they are doing maintenance work. The local fire department ended up responding and posting photos of the incident on Twitter, and they were all... um, I think it was the police, the fire chief ended up stating, I think we are very, very lucky that there was not more serious injuries or even fatalities. Okay, so our next case is titled, The Man Who Sucker Punched an NYPD Police Officer During a St. Patrick's Day Parade. Nicholas McGowan, 19 years old, from Mariners Harbor, New York, was accused of punching a police officer during a St. Patrick's Day parade and was badly beaten about the face and the body, in quotation marks, while in care of police, his defense lawyer says. It was stated, I'm not going to comment on the facts of what happened yesterday. I can tell you that he was brought before the judge and he was badly beaten about the face and his body and that was pretty apparent, and he is now going for medical treatment, but other than that, I don't want to discuss this case. This was stated by his Manhattan-based defense attorney, John Aposito. McGowan is a legend to have sucker-punched a police officer who was trying to disperse a crowd during the parade. 
He also grabbed the officer's $400 pair of prescription eyeglasses from his face and crushed them with his hands. When officers tried to restrain the man, who appeared to be extremely intoxicated, he resisted arrest. He locked his hands, his arms, refusing to be handcuffed, kicked at the arresting officers, fell on the floor, and refused to be handcuffed when instructed. He also had what police described as a gravity knife in his right pants pocket. All of this is from a criminal complaint um, file. He was described as extremely intoxicated and was brought to Richmond University Medical Center to to be medically cleared before going to the police station. The young man appeared in court bruised about the face and the body. He faces charges of second and third degree assault fourth-degree criminal mischief, resisting arrest, and fourth-degree criminal possession of a weapon, all this according to the information from the district attorney's office. His mother, who happened to be a retired police officer, doesn't believe the allegations and insists that her son has never been in trouble before. An anonymous witness um, stated that they have video of the incident and are calling it another caught-on-camera brutality case from police. But when this person um, was reached out to, they refused to comment or um, say anything else. Okay, so the next case is um, the man who set himself on fire during a New Jersey St. Patrick's Day pub crawl. In March 2015, a homeless man set himself on fire during a Hoboken St. Patrick's Day pub crawl. Police received a call just before 11 p.m. that a man was trying to set himself on fire. Once they arrived, they discovered that the unidentified man was indeed completely on fire in the middle of the road at Bloomfield and 4th Streets in the area where 25 bars had signed up to participate in this pub crawl. The police chief at the time stated the man then began screaming as the fire started to spread from his jacket to his skin, but the officers were able to get him onto the ground and roll him over to put the fire out. He was not seriously injured, but was transported to Hoboken University Medical Center. The pub crawl continued for business as usual, with 11 people arrested from everything from assault to drug possession. There were also over 100 violations of city ordinances barring public drinking and urination. That's nice. Okay, so the next one is titled, The St. Patrick's Day Celebration That Descended Into Chaos and Mass Arrests. This one I also found very interesting because this is also near where I live. And I remember this happening. I remember this and it's just crazy. But anyway, 2014's Blarney Blarney blowout near the University of Massachusetts, also known as UMass, spiraled out of control as police and riot gear were pitted against thousands of drunken and unruly revelers. There were 52 arrests and four officers were injured in the clashes that included some students throwing beer bottles, cans, and snowballs. Eight people were issued summonses, Amherst police said. 
Most charges were for disturbing the peace and open container violations, but some were for assault and battery on a police officer and others. About 90% of those charged were UMass Amherst students. While the university publicly denounced the students' behavior, the students themselves were upset by what they call aggressive police tactics. It was stated that there were pepper bullets being shot at students who were walking away from the scene. This was stated by UMass student body president, Zach Broughton. There was a mandate for police to truly show a sign of force. At least one, Thomas Donovan, has filed a civil rights lawsuit against Amherst police, alleging he was wrongly charged with and excessive force was used in his arrest. His lawsuit seeks unspecified monetary damages. All right, weirdos. So I hope you enjoyed that. I I thought I would just send you guys a little treat, add a little bit of extra content. I am planning to start doing more content during the week instead of one episode, maybe two. Um, But... St. Patrick's Day is close to my heart, and I got really excited about it, so I thought I'd um, just do a little extra episode. I might do a few of those throughout, and just sprinkle them in here and there. Um, But yeah, with that, um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, stay different, and don't forget to don't trust anyone. Follow us on social. And check out our website, www.darkcrossroadspodcast.com. You will see all the new um, episodes on there, um, info about the podcast. There's a blog covering every episode. Um, Yeah. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram. Check us out on Twitter. Twitter. And with that, stay weird and I'll see you next time. All right. Bye. The Curiosity Box delivers the cerebral fascination of Vsauce right to your door through engaging science toys, surprising puzzles, and books that expand our understanding of the universe. The creators worked together to create, design, and handpick each illuminating item in the Curiosity Box, including constructive kits, brain games, and imaginative custom t-shirts. Every quarterly delivery will turn your home into a laboratory of wonder. If you have always been curious about the world around you, then subscribe to the Curiosity Box and have access to the most popular science education network on YouTube as it energizes a community of Earth's most inquisitive minds with videos spanning science, math, and the human experience. And now all of that passion is in a box pulled off the screen and put in your hands. You can also receive monthly courses spanning popular academic disciplines to inspire and nurture the next generation of curious thinkers, innovators, and inventors. They are delivering a deeper learning experience through AR, VR, and video lessons on the MEL app. Join the curious community on their journey to explore the world. Celebrate the amazing and support brains for the future of our pale blue dot and beyond.